Hi, I'm Dr. Sarah Howard, and welcome to the Pure Animal Podcast. On today's episode, we're welcoming back Dr. Matthew Muir and discussing about how to approach preparing a home-cooked diet. Matt obtained a double degree in veterinary science and veterinary biology in 2010 with first-class honours from Charles Sturt University. He began work as a mixed animal general practitioner in Griffith, Australia, and then moved to the UK and commenced out-of-hours emergency and critical care work at a Royal Veterinary College top-tier hospital before consulting in wellness and internal medicine. After several years abroad, Matt returned to Australia and joined the team at All Natural Vet Care in Sydney. His veterinary interests are wellness and preventative healthcare, soft tissue surgery, integrative dentistry, and all disciplines linked to the gut-skin-brain axis. Hello again, Matt, and welcome back to the Pure Animal Podcast. It's really nice to have you back. I'm really excited today because we're going to be talking about your approach to home-cooked diets and feeding biologically appropriate food. So welcome. Thanks. Thanks for having me back. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, so we're going to just jump straight into the topic because um, it is your second time back on the podcast. Um, so for our regular listeners, um, they should know all about you already. So I'm really excited. This is definitely a pet topic of mine. Um, I love nutrition and I find this area of nutrition really interesting. Um, and certainly it is, I think, an attractive um, area of education for a lot of practitioners out there because there's a lot of pressure coming from clients and pet owners um, about wanting to feed the best diet possible to their pet. So let's just jump in. Um, what is your approach to diet as, as a really sort of general start? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, that really resonates with me, what you're saying. I think a lot of people are really striving to deliver the best for their, um, their family member. Um, and nutrition is, you know, such a core way of doing that. Um, my approach to nutrition, uh, always really changes. Um, I'm very keen to put out there that there's no one-size-fits-all approach to feeding a pet um, and pet guardians really need to, you know, with the help of their their vet, um, really come up with, you know, the best solution for their pet mm-hmm. pet's lifestyle um, yep. and their lifestyle. Yep. Um, so generally speaking, I move towards a natural feeding kind of model. Mm-hmm. Um, so with natural feeding, I tend to focus on what people might see or hear of as biologically appropriate or species appropriate nutrition. Um, so really trying to look at, you know, the uh, taking from the ancestral or ecological niche kind of studies of wild canids and felids, um, but also um looking at more optimal nutrition recommendations from key thought leaders um, and looking at, uh, you know, AFCO and FEDIAF, like the American and European sort of standards set for nutrition of pets. And um, and on top of that, then coming um, back to, um, uh, you know, specific disease processes mm, or specific yes. um, risk um, a- a- aversion goals, you know, that we're trying to yeah. achieve and coming up with something that um, uh, is uh, achievable and sustainable, which I, I think I mentioned on the Integrative Dentistry podcast that, you know, uh, as a practitioner, I want to empower a family to do something that they feel good about. 
Um, and usually uh, that's centered around um, a low glycemic um, diet. Um, I want it to be um, high in high biological grade protein, mm-hmm. low in, com- uh, in simple starches mm-hmm. um, and, and quite low or moderate in complex carbohydrates um, with really good healthy fats um, and more polyunsaturated um, fatty acids within the diet. Yep. Um, and with diet... Um, I do think that it needs to have variety, um, but within the paradigm of um, of a complete and balanced, like nutritionally um, adequate and high nutritional integrity with what we're delivering to the pet. Okay. So you just sort of rung a few bells for me then. We're in the midst of the ketogenic diet revolution in mm-hmm. people. You're talking about a low glycemic, fairly low carbohydrate, higher fat, higher protein diet. Do you try and fit into certain macronutrient ratios um, or are you looking more at the quality and types of foods and, um, and trying to avoid those, you know, those those simple starches and things yeah. and not worrying so much about the numbers? No, I do. Um, I look at both those aspects sure. um, qualitatively and um, and quantitatively from a macro balance, which I think is uh, certainly an area for more focus, more discussion. Um, I tend to follow um, Gregory Olgevi's uh, anti-cancer guidelines when it comes to looking at um, percentage of calories that come from fat, protein and carbs. Okay, yeah. um, I don't quite um, push dogs into ketogenic state mm-hmm. um, with the style of feeding that I tend to gravitate towards for um, the majority of my um, uh, patients. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to try and keep um, carbs at, at less than 20% of the diet, okay, um, yep. including that's like complex carbs, so like low. net, net yep. carbs, um, maybe push a bit higher. Fibre content always needs experimentation, I find, to get that right for the individual pet. Yeah. Um, but protein and fat, um, I tend to um, look at having a much higher protein to fat ratio. Okay, um, so more protein than yeah, fat. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, even though there's a study... And a few years ago, I visited, um, I went to study sled dogs in Norway and looked at what they were feeding them, like up in the Arctic Circle. Yeah. It was super interesting. Yeah. Really high fat and content diets. Yeah, I would like, imagine. You know, yeah. it was super, it was, it was pretty crazy. But um, what I found, um, and looking more to the European standards, um, I think for puppies, there's a, you know, for a puppy life stage, the FEDIAF guidelines is two to one for protein to fat. Okay. Um, not talking about like quality of fat, but just, uh, sorry, quality of protein, but, you know, on a macro, um, you know, guaranteed or number. typical yep. analysis, we're looking at twice the amount of protein than fat um, for a puppy okay. and 1.2 to 1 for an adult dog. Um, okay. But I tend to sit higher. Another thing with, um, and a lot of people might already have like red um, red lights Yeah, about I'm thinking fat. kidneys for protein as well. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a, that's, that's a controversial one, but. Yeah, um, yeah that, that's a, that definitely is where quality of protein comes in. Um, but one thing I like to point out with fats is that not all fats are created equally and not, not all proteins are created equally. But with fats, um, what we, um, you know, what the literature says is actually it um, tends to be a higher carb diet with high fat that causes pancreatitis rather than a high protein and a high fat diet. Right. Um, so if you, can, if you can feed high protein, you can get away with higher fat. Okay, interesting. Um, and, and do you think that applies of... to people as well? Or 
Um, is the research sort of oh, fairly look, well correlated? Yeah, I mean, look at the Mediterranean diet. It's full yeah. of it's full of fat. Yeah, yeah, and I um, I think that um, yeah, I think we can handle a lot more fat than what you know the uh, the cholesterol you know yeah. um, you know well, uh, anti cholesterol movement sort of moment, yeah. uh, has thought. Yeah. yeah. Um, oh, look, I think you know monounsaturated fats like olive oil, avocado, um, you know, grass fed. You know, and this mm-hmm. is a, a one thing that I wanted to talk about today about actually looking at raw ingredients and, and, you know, where we're sourcing our food. Because nowadays you can't look at a diet, um, homemade or commercial, and sort of really ascertain what the, like, CLA, like the, you know, the fat content of of a um, grass-fed meat is versus a corn-fed, grain-fed meat. Like, they have different uh, omega-3 profiles Mm. um, or um, essential fatty acid profiles. Um, So... Yeah, like the approach that I take tends to be higher fat, but mm-hmm. not quite ketogenic. Mm-hmm. Um, definitely more omega-3. Um, I don't really believe, and certainly this is echoed in the integrative or holistic circles, that, you know, a omega-6 to 3 ratio of 30 to 1 is like a driver of good health. No. Um, I think that even AFCO itself, like which, you know, in Australia we, we follow AFCO uh, mostly um, for developing diets. We, you know, even, even AFCO itself concedes in, you know, in their um, circulars that it's the kind of leaping off platform for nutrition for pets. It's not necessarily optimal. It's, it's often bare minimum. And so just on that note with omega-3s and omega-6s, I know for, sort of slightly off topic, but I know um, for patients with allergic skin disease, omega-6 supplementation is somewhat important for replenishing those often deficient fatty mm-hmm. acids which live within that skin lipid bilayer. Yeah. A question that I sort of have brought up before on the podcast and I often think about is, well, are the benefits of supplementing an omega-6 for those particular cases, do, do the benefits to the skin outweigh those pro-inflammatory effects of that omega-6? And if you are giving more omega-3 than omega-6, um, is does that sort of answer that problem as well by offering the anti-inflammatory omega-3s in conjunction? Yeah, yeah it's... Um it's it's a tough one, yeah. um, you know, looking at having GLA and things from you know yeah. plant based um, fatty acid flax profiles. And stuff, yeah. um, flax is an interesting one because I think a lot of practitioners um, will sort of say, oh, it doesn't really convert well um, for DHA and EPA in, no, in the pet. But for omega six um, content, yeah, and also the flavonolignin content, yeah. like flavonolignins, um, which are in is in milk thistle as well, is um, you know super interesting in its own right for the health properties that it brings. And there's also a lot of zinc in flaxseed oil. Is there? Yeah, and okay. So obviously um, zinc, like I think there's a big subclinical zinc um, uh, relative deficiency that we Mm. see in animals. That's uh, really the only way to um, often diagnose it is uh, therapeutic trial and retrospective diagnosis um, that, you know, it's not like the zinc responsive dermatosis that we see in spitz breeds, but a lot of dogs um, don't have enough zinc. um, Mm. And in, in my experience through testing that out. And trying to formulate diets that uh, have enough zinc is hard yeah. without, you know, going to the, the, you know, the, the fish markets and getting like premium oysters. For yeah. the pet. 
Some people do. I was just about to say, I'm sure some people do. For sure. I, oh, yeah, absolutely. As a sometimes food, yeah, if yeah. people can feed um, some oyster, great. Okay. Yeah. Well, we're sort of, I knew this was going to happen with this topic. Yeah, it's a big topic. I'm really interested in it too. Um, I've I've kind of diverted us a bit. So we were talking about, you were starting with your, your sort of general approach, which was the, the low GI, yeah. h- higher fat, high protein, yeah. um, focusing on omega-3s. Yeah. Um, so that's a great starting point. So if you had a, a patient walking in that was on a commercial diet, on a kibble diet, what is your approach just starting to introduce them to the concept of actually moving away from that and um, how do you transition mm. them? Yeah, good question. I mean, it, one thing I'd like to point out is that nowadays commercial diet doesn't translate to kibble or canned as well. There's like a lot more, you know, options available with like, you know, some really impressive yeah, um, uh, 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 ingredients and um, macro mineral um, uh, profiles in mm-hmm. the design of the diets. Um, to For a dog coming in on kibble, one thing that I'll point out with kibble, um, and certainly this is where the the TCM Chinese paradigm and, you know, advanced Western biomedicine is starting to have interplay and keto comes into this, is um, now like insulin resistance and, you know, endothelial dysfunction due to insulin resistance and, um, and you know, diet-driven inflammation, uh, more so in human medicine, but, you know, animals, there's, you know, some studies out of Helsinki. Um, I'd, I'd direct everyone to read Dog Risk, um, the Dog Risk okay. Project um, from University of Helsinki. It's got some really impressive research. Um, Interesting. There. I haven't even heard of that. Yeah, they, they do some really cool stuff. They find that with uh, when we're looking at kibble, uh, what we're seeing is that a lot of dogs have like elevated metabolic uh, markers like homocysteine um, mm. and maybe CRP. Uh, it's not really well defined yet in dogs like the complete impact that has on health, but we do know that dogs that have um, like clinical mitral valve disease, disease have elevated homocysteine markers right. and things like that. So we're starting to join the dots between like what human medicine is saying about like metabolic syndrome, um, you know, and really in dogs, you could probably only really say like a metabolic-like syndrome at this stage. Um, But certainly we see that, you know, a high starch, high glycemic index diet, um, you know, rapidly converting to sugar um, via, you know, the liver, um, you know, elevated insulin, prediabetes, um, you know, which the Chinese medicine, like my hypothesis, and I think that echoes a lot of people would say that this is starting to be sort of where like damp heat uh, as a Chinese pathology might be like related to like endothelial dysfunction and endothelial stress that's driven by a global dietary meta-inflammation or met-inflammation. And so starting to talk to families that come to see me um, if their pet is on a more conventional approach to their feeding with, say, kibble, um, I start to point out some of the reasons why um, I think that it may not be the best um, option for their pet in the long term. And I stress in the long term because rarely um, with transitions do I go cold turkey overnight, swap from like kibble to um, a more natural uh, moist diet. Um, Certainly uh, just adding moisture is like a huge, I think has a huge impact in a lot of pets. So even if someone wasn't comfortable moving off a particular food, like just adding water to it um, would help. Like it's certainly been debunked that, you know, non dental design diets that carry the um, seal of approval from VOHC, like uh, non-dental diet uh, kibbles won't help the teeth. Um, yeah. So it's not a reason. So like soaking the kibble, hard, yep. 
yeah, like make the the moisture content of the diet, you know, back to like 70%, 73%, 68% to replicate, you know, what a natural um, uh, pet, uh, natural, sorry, um, dog or cat would eat, um, I think has a lot of um, benefit. I think that the calories are diluted, digestibility changes, um, you know, the body's not so taxed. Like, and I sort of often say to people like, you know, have you ever seen what happens to a piece of kibble if it's like left out in the rain or something like how much swells, moisture it swells yeah. it's like i believe that you know a belly full of kibble um the pet like you know the moisture uh, is just being you know really taxed um yeah. from the, the body of be the quite pet. uncomfortable i would think having a belly full of dry kibble that then swells and yeah well i think a lot of people see the the impact of that through yeah. you know how it manifests with the health of the dog um so yes normally i i start by kind to um give my perspective um you know follow up with research a lot of um the the families that I work with I deliver uh, like a written uh, written care plan integrative care plan so often um, I am putting links to key research that I think is important trying to be mindful that you know everyone has a subjective bias to some extent and you know people are more passionate about other you know approaches to diet is a is a big one but um, I tend to you know propose to my clients why um, I'm I want to do a diet change. I often point out, particularly with like chronic disease that, you know, clearly it's not really work. Like what's the diet isn't really working well. Um, I did learn, um, using the AHA nutritional, um, screening guide from the American hospital association, um, that, um, one of the key probing questions that you should ask at a, every wellness check is like, how do you think the diet's working for your pet? Um, yeah. Keep it that open-ended yeah. style. Yeah. Um, and a lot of people, uh, need help in pointing that, oh, maybe the diet could be improved. Um, so normally I, yeah, wet down the kibble, decide what the next step is. Um, you know, there's a few sort of uh, avenues that can be gone, like go down, like um, commercial, home prepared, raw, cooked, etc. And I normally step down um, uh, diet recommendations, like definitely towards moist, moist base. Mm-hmm. Um, if people want to go down the raw uh, road, I normally have, you know, some cooked, um, like minimally processed cooked in between at least. Um, surprising, a lot of people will probably be surprised to hear that I often don't recommend raw, okay. um, at least for the first one to six months. I think that some dogs because can, of the gut, the gut ability. I to... think yeah, I think the gut needs normally needs some rehab yeah. to go from like essentially a food that's very um, maybe sterile, like essentially it's it could be sterilized almost. Yeah, yeah and um, to to going uh, onto raws like a, a steep yeah, kind sure. of curve. Yeah, um, and we've like you know reviewing the research, particularly the research that's come out of um, Finland and New Zealand, like New Zealand, like the cooperative of um, of uh, companies over there that have done some really a high level, like PhD level research, um, using uh, high meat protein diets, find that there's like very different gut microbiota um, diversity between a dog that's fed kibble and a dog that's fed um, a, a higher meat content natural diet. Mm-hmm. And so we need to give those um, those microbiota an opportunity to stay um, to go through that journey of yeah. change. It's yep. like you know, in humans, like you know, adding 30 grams of fiber to your diet overnight is you know not going to bode well. <laughs> not going to be fun. <laughs> 
yeah, and uh, and I try to work with the medical philosophy of the families that I'm um, consulting with um, and respect their boundaries and their levels of comfort and what they want to do um, to a point. But I, I'm very um, really, uh, yeah, I, I have lost a lot of patience for letting like suboptimal nutrition that I think in my head is like, yeah, that's suboptimal nutrition in my opinion. Like I want to raise the plane of nutrition now, like at least start the journey. Um, uh, and I like try, I, I don't really hold back um, uh, in, in my <laughs> opinions. I'm sure a lot of uh, people would say that I'm intense about diet. <laughs> <laughs> Passionate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's all right. Yeah. Okay. So just sort of moving into some more specifics, if we're talking about a sort of fully home prepared diet, in my mind, when I was a practitioner, I was always a little nervous to recommend it because I didn't have the knowledge or the expertise to be able to provide a, a balanced ration and yes. worrying about different micronutrient deficiencies um, in a fully home prepared diet. So when you're establishing that, I, I'm assuming that you sort of write the, the recipes and the, the diet plan making sure that it is completely balanced. Yeah, right, yeah, that 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 um caution is rightly so to be cautious yeah. about it. Um yeah. yeah, absolutely need to point out that there's good home prepared diet strategies and bad home prepared uh, prepared diet strategies and I think that if someone wants to go there um with their family member they need to be really informed about, you know, uh, what's involved. Absolutely. I think that to kind of get to the point of delivering um, home-prepared nutritional counselling. Um, and it is counselling because there's a lot involved with doing this right, in my opinion. Um, it's often oversimplified. Um, that, um, But sometimes it's also like too, uh, there's too much fear associated with doing it as well. So it's that careful middle ground. Um, absolutely, it needs to, go, it needs to be in writing. Um, yeah. you know, it needs to be a written care plan, a written diet strategy. Uh, it needs follow-up for sure. Um, I think that it's, I've kind of, you know, I mean, I did a dissertation um, in nutrition when I was at uni. It's been an area of passion of mine. Um, and, you know, as the years have gone by, I've, I've become more confident um, in, in doing it. Um, uh, but you should, you know, practitioners out there listening who are keen to explore home prepared diets um, or families that are keen to explore it for their pets uh, realize that um, there's different comfort levels of about which animals are good candidates to, you know, undergo it and which families really should be dedicating their time budget and potentially financial budget to setting up to do this properly. Yeah. Um, and it really is dependent on what the health goals um, are and, you know, where the pet is at in their life. Yeah. So I guess that sort of takes us to this, there's really, I mean, there's more than two approaches, but there's sort of two main approaches to nutrition. There's, um, you know, a, a maintenance of, of health, a preventative type approach, and then there's a clinical type approach. And I'm sure you see both patients where mm -hmm. patients are coming in for, you know, when they're in early, early age, um, as a wellness um, consults for yes. you and, and you set them up on a really good um, solid foundation so that they can continue 
being in good health as mm-hmm. they grow older and then you must see patients that are referred to you with a diagnosed clinical disorder where you're using the nutrition more therapeutically Absolutely. in that setting. Yeah, it's both. Yeah. Um, and somewhere in between because I'm trying to chase the subclinical like concerns that I have about like, okay, you know, this dog looks well. And this is where I said I've kind of lost a bit of patience with um with suboptimal nutrition. Um, there's And I'd love for anyone to send in this study. Um, I read about in humans um, that uh, was like a raw book through the Hopewood, um, you know, like in a cleansing style of um fasting and things from the 60s and raw feeding for humans where they talked about this study in dogs which I can't find on the internet um, that uh, on a cellular level there's already irreversible changes from suboptimal nutrition before you see um, anything ex- yeah, uh, external yeah. and because a lot of my research in nutrition was on subclinical disease processes I'm you know sort of trying to be more upstream with you know identifying the you know the processes that are happening on you know uh, on a circulatory level or cellular mitochondrial level even. Um, so, yeah, but generally it's a, so it's a continuum between, yeah, you know, ideally, like ideally I would want to feed the, like devise the nutrition or have someone that w- was even more experienced than me doing it, like to, you know, ideally have the nutrition of like the great grandmother of the animal and then during the, during her pregnancy and then, you know, the pregnancy across like multiple generations, like the, you know, like what the Pottinger study in 1939 on cats, um, looking at this sort of gener- intergenerational issues. Um, and, you know, the, the, the health of and nutrition of the mother during gestation, lactation, um, impacts like the lifetime risk of, um, of atopy in West Highland Terriers, which is, you know, a, a kind of, sorry, uh, like a sentinel breed for that disease. Mm. So, you know, ideally it's really upstream. So when an animal comes in for a healthy start, like a, you know, wellness consult with someone be like, yeah, I want to start afresh, like des- devise a really good diet, like you mentioned, um, you know, really good nutritional strategy um, with flexibility and, you know, um, you know, variety, et cetera. Um, often there's already some sub- subclinical like catch up to do, you know, right. by the time, even if they come in, you know, box fresh 12 week old puppy like there's still you know there's still some work that um uh, that we're already off on the you know already a bit uphill with having to you know um get back some of the health Um, yeah sure and a lot of the time i see puppies uh, around the six month mark and they may have had you know metronidazole for some hematochesia or something that's happened um or they you know had like uh not so much parvovirus anymore, thankfully, because it's awful. I used to see it in the country. It is awful. Um, but, you know, some other, you know, gastric issue that they need they need gut rehab already. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and then, yeah, absolutely chronic disease. Like a, that, that's a lot of my work is like cancer, autoimmune, kidney, um, you know, even mobility. Um, I think that dietary mod- modification is important. Like generally you can always refine a diet strategy, um, even if it's people that have been home preparing for 50 years. Like I still point out some areas that we can, can generally improve. focus on. Yeah. And so when we're thinking about the subclinical patient, subclinical cases that you see, um, are you doing specific diagnostic tests to to find deficiencies and then targeting your nutrition in that way or, or are you relying on history and 
you know, a good sort of um, conventional slash alternative physical exam? Mm. Um, all of the above generally. Uh, normally I don't go chasing um, blood tests and or like uh, hair follicle testing or saliva tests quickly um, in the process. I do use certain tests that are, you know, outside of the NATO accreditation and a lot of tests to the States. Um, isoprostane um, saliva is a new one I'm looking at, like TK, CRP, vitamin D, um, uh, IgA, IgM testing. Mm -hmm. um, on saliva. There's a lot of tests that I'd use at key times in a, in a, in a um, pet's uh, health journey. Normally, no, normally I just sort of think about like what the computer analysis would say about the diet, um, you know, what I think about the diet, make the changes um, and then, you know, monitor. See what happens. Yeah, see what happens. Like a, a lot of that therapeutic, um, you know, if like if my working hypothesis is that I think that, you know, um, even though it's like, you know, if a dog's got skin problems and it's on like a hypoallergenic, um, you know, conventional diet, um, but I still think it's getting like storage might um, from, from the food, like I'll just, you know, think, oh, and and that I don't think that the the skin's getting the right immunonutrition or the EFA balance is right for that pet based on a combination of like an Eastern pulse tongue diagnosis mm -hmm. um, plus a, a Western conventional um, clinical exam. Um, I might then think oh, I'm going to make these changes. Like oh, that, I think that dog should go on zinc. Um, and yeah. you know, uh, using your intuition. See, yeah, just kind of, and that's that is one of the. I guess um, it sucks for the families that this happens to, but one of the beauties of chronic medicine is that you do have the opportunity to just like, all right, um, this is my hypothesis and this is what we're going to test out for the next three yeah. months. Um, and then, you know, again, it comes like a lot of skin comes back to, you know, process of elimination anyway. Yeah, so, definitely. You know, yep. it's a um, trial and error. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which the one of the warnings about home prepared diets and this strategy and integrative medicine in general is that because there's a lot of twists and turns, um, there's a lot of consulting involved mm. um, and a lot of prof professional service fees involved to do yeah, this yeah. to really, um, it's a big you know, investment. yeah. And, um, I think it's a worthwhile one, um, certainly rewarding to deliver the medicine, but it can certainly be frustrating. Like, you know, a, a diet transition journey, a gut rehab journey, um, uh, healing from a dis dysbiosis or, you know, resolving like skin disease that's been there for a few years naturally. That's a, like, uh, I, uh, I at least a 12 month process. Yeah, um, skin nowadays, I normally try and manage people's expectations by saying like, I want to see your pet go through two whole year cycle, like seasonal cycles. So two years, so I can be empowered and you can be empowered by year two that the um, flare up protocol, because I, I have like, have people have a flare up and a maintenance protocol. Mm -hmm. Like I normally find that it takes two years of working with a family before we can develop a super good um, flare up protocol and, you know, aim to have them always flared down, yeah. um, but know how to react. Um, so yeah, it's long, yeah, long process. Right. And prohibitive for some people, I would think. Yeah. The time. Yeah. With yeah. the current, um, you know, with the current access to um, information and, you know, hopefully podcasts and other information platforms can, you know, inspire, empower like practitioners and um, pet guardians to, you know, get more um, targeted um, nutritional advice. It would be really nice if there was a sort of easier way, I think, for people to access this sort of information and be able to apply it themselves, um, which might 
Im- be able to so they can sort of take the power and improve the pet's health at home but th- for those people that might be prohibited by cost and sort of time investment of actually mm. coming to all those consults but I don't think that really exists as yet something that's really accessible. It's happening like a lot of you know like I'm working on some product service integrated projects mm-hmm. um, you know uh, yeah there's certainly some cool literature that and you know um, uh, a lot of like algorithmic driven decision making that can be done you know by machines to help yeah. you know um, uh, brain power be more like uh, evergreen is the, I guess the business term um, you know uh, to spread knowledge uh, uh, faster and clearer um, yeah. and yeah and I think right that knowledge. yeah and you know I think the the, the biggest potential with um, uh, you know really revitalizing um, you know the veterinary industry and taking it to you know uh, beyond 2020 I think is that you know a kind of a renaissance of vets delivering um, uh, nutritional like being like you know key because people are like demanding this information and getting it from peers and getting it everywhere on the internet and you know asking their vets to have it but most vets like all of the studies that come out say vets feel that they're unequipped to do it um yeah but i don't actually believe that um nutritional counseling can be uh, is is cost prohibitive um per se because you always have to offset the medical costs that go alongside not um uh, not changing the nutrition um, you know, yes. it's like, okay, I'm seeing you every three months to discuss how they're progressing, how their body condition score is going, you know, how they, if they're loving their diet, you know, if there's any, any ingredients that you're finding difficult to source, if you're spending enough time, you know, with behavioral enrichment and, or you're spending all your weekends, um, you know, driving around Sydney or wherever you live, getting, uh, you know, all of the ingredients that you <laughs> yeah. need, um, and, um, you know, that it's going well, it's, it's like having that conversation every three months or being like, oh, we need to do. Um, cytology on the ear again we need to do two weeks of ear treatment again and then I need to see you back for a revisit and we um, you know and then we need to you know work out what the flare was you know because definitely a lot of dietary modification um, comes down to gut skin Um, yeah yeah yep absolutely yeah for sure there's such a link there yeah I know there's some studies which are sort of nearly 10 years old now but back to the atopic dermatitis um, link with maternal health and, and health during gestation and um, during lactation mm-hmm. about supplementing with probiotics with the, the pregnant bitch and then during lactation and then mm-hmm. the puppies from, I think it was from three weeks of age, I mean, yeah. the Stover Marcella studies. Mm-hmm. Um, it would be nice to have some more recent, more recent research about that topic, but is yeah. that something that you um, see anecdotally that you use sort of that, oh, that knowledge? Yeah, it's uh, yeah, generally um, uh, no-brainer, foundational sort of, particularly during a diet transition as well, is that, you know, using probiotics therapeutically um, during a diet transition mm-hmm. can really help the journey go smoother. Yeah. And are you usually using a commercial prepared probiotic or do you tend to reach for fermented foods? Uh, I normally use, yeah, canine um, or, or multi-strain probiotics rather than fermented foods. I mm-hmm. just kind of feel that fermented foods have a lot of histamine in them. Yeah, right. Um, and I think that histam- like in dairy and fermented foods, I think they don't really agree with a lot of pets in my experience. I mean, a lot of people like swear by fermented foods and I think it's definitely an avenue to go. I also use a lot of green tripe. Okay. Yeah, yeah, for, you know, Mother Nature's doggy probiotic. Okay, um, But, yeah, getting back to your thing about, like, the microbiome, like, you know, manipulation of the microbiota for um, for skin, uh, like, atopic conditions, um, it, certainly, like, the skin microbiome, 
Um, again, the dog risk um, project in Helsinki, like they have a study in Staffies that found that uh, dogs that are fed a um, commercial diet have um, decreased diversity of skin microbiota. Oh, interesting. Yeah. 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 So, um, yeah, more to elucidate um, in that area for yeah, sure. But um, yeah, look, uh, you know, the pro uh, if uh, probiotics do, you know, a range of jobs um, and, you know, if we're going down the, the route of, you know, gut hyperpermeability and, you know, skin um, immune complexes forming under the skin because, you know, um, too much food's like gotten through the tight junctions and, and you know, through the, the digestive, um, you know, uh, through the, tra- the digestive tract into the body, um, uh, the bloodstream, um, then, you know, improving the mucin layer or, you know, what the more naturopathically skewed um, integrative practitioners would talk term leaky gut syndrome. Yep. I think that resonate with a lot of people yep. through, you know, their own health journeys or, you know, as a way of describing, you know, um, gut hyperpermeability, you know, that process, like probiotics are pivotal to helping um, uh, helping that that process and, you know, out-competing dysbiosis um, that, that's going on. Um, you know, I think that's all important for skin, gut, brain, you know, heaps of, uh, heaps of, um, so that's why I think it's foundational. Mm, absolutely. Um, and are you actually sending off fecal samples and measuring the microbiome? I know there's yeah. some dysbiosis testing Scores, that can yeah. be done now. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've, I've looked into the dysbiosis index, um, but yeah, not we're not doing it in practice because again, it's another, particularly with nutritional counselling and, you know, playing, you know, financial planner to the, the um, to families within my boundaries of, you know, that I'm not a financial planner. Uh, I normally am saying like, you know, I think there's a dysbiosis, you know, which, uh, I think that we should just get on with yeah, treating it rather yeah. than quantifying it. There's really no harm um, in doing so, so. Yeah, generally not. I mean, sometimes uh, I've I learned that probiotics can sometimes be pro-inflammatory because it depends on what the gut microbiome is doing. So mm-hmm. I do think that probiotics sometimes aren't, uh, it's not the right like snapshot in time to put a patient on it. Like mm-hmm. a, a lot of people talk about there being like no side effect profile. And I think it, while it's like a minor side effect risk, I think sometimes I do stop probiotics sometimes to test out the, th- the hypothesis that, you know, it's not agreeing with that pet for some particular reason in yeah. the in the now. Um, but yeah, by and large, it's um, yeah, yeah, get on with treatment it um, in my opinion awesome yeah what is your approach to grains and grain free Mm -hmm. and wheat and Mm. those I know that you can um I mean I know a lot of the time it's considered a refined sort of carbohydrate simple starch but a lot of the time if we're thinking about whole unrefined grains. Mm-hmm. What's your opinion on them? Because yeah. I know it's a bit of a contentious it's a I mean, issue. It, getting back to like the tight junctions and leaky yeah. gut syndrome and things like zonulin and, you know, wheat and yeah. glyphosate and yeah. et cetera, et cetera. I think it's, you know, a big topic that um, I, I would say, uh, you know, we could talk for hours on. But my opinion generally is um, that grains, um, dogs have metabolic flexibility to digest them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that an over-reliance on completely grain-free um, isn't necessary and I think that there's a lot of nutrients that can come from um, yeah, from whole grains. Um, you know, seal cut oats. Uh, like I use a lot of oats. I use definitely use a lot of buckwheat and barley and mm-hmm. things. Um, but uh, but as long as the the macros stand up, that it's low. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know that the net carbs is low. Um, often a lot of people sometimes are like, look. You know, Matt, I have a 50 kilo, you know, Great Dane or 80 kilo Great Dane. Like I'd love to, you know, do the full, you know, um, you know, diet recommendations that you want, but we just need to shandy in some carbs for, you know, calorie. Oh, could I uh, be? Yeah. Uh, yeah, you know, and that's fair enough. Like yeah. people, you know, people have to draw their lines in the sand, like, you know, 
on the subject of glyphosate and all of that, you know, certified organic, um, you know, I think it has a, a place like, you know, and it's preferred, um, particularly if pets have cancer, I'll, I'll you know, uh, yeah. sort of talk about these sort of things. But I'm very um, aware that people have to draw their lines, you know, with what they can and can't do and maybe like de-escalate onto like avoiding like the dirty dozen food. I was just about to say that, yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's the normally what I say um, about, you know, uh, selecting nutrients is that uh, I subscribe to like a doggy version or cat version of the crone um, diet, like calorie mm -hmm. restricted optimal nutrients, um, where I'd say like get the best that you can sustainably afford. Mm -hmm. um, so not Crohn's diseases in IVD. No, yeah. Crone diet. So, yeah, yeah, Cron, yeah. Cron, yeah, okay. Yeah, which Chronometer is a really good app. Um, a lot of people I've use used it for, that. Yeah, yeah for, it is um, a good app. Yeah, um, I use it to formulate diets on sometimes when I need to quickly Do know. Yeah, just if I need to quickly get like a really snapshot of what the calorie the or caloric density of the yeah. food is or something, yep. um, I'll use it. But otherwise, I use other diet designer software in practice on a on a fairly routine okay. basis. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and some recipes that I've fiddled around with for you know hours and hours and hours, and yeah. then you know utilize those um, and modify them a little bit for individual pets. Yeah, and what about if an owner comes to you and has um, their own sort of pre-existing ideas about diet and mm -hmm. perhaps is a vegan mm -hmm. or a vegetarian, which I'm sure a lot of your clients probably yeah. are. Yeah. Do you feel that a dog, I mean, we know that cats are obligate carnivores, mm -hmm. but do you feel that a dog can thrive. Yeah, thrive's a really good word to put it. Diet. Um, I know they can survive. Yeah, yeah, I think um <laughs> I I think that vegan they don't thrive in my experience. Um, I don't think the synthetic DHA um, cuts it, in my mm -hmm. opinion. Um, and I think that the, you have to run the gauntlet of doing um, too biologically inappropriate a diet, not even the fact that, you know, dogs, you know, like um, there are the main wolves in South America um, that eat, that have like metabolically flexible and uh, they only eat melons. Like really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're, they're, they're um, you know, they're wild canids and they only eat um, melons. Oh, my gosh. Um, but they, <laughs> that's, you know, evolved over time and I bet their gut microbiomes are different to other dogs. Yeah. Um, you know, that's my hypothesis there. Um, but I think that what I find is a lot of – not that I work with a lot of them because we, we don't really um, support it. A lot of dogs and some a lot of people have different opinions on what um, how you can get nutrients um, into, you know, that, you know, if even if you're using like a completely synthesized, you know, say vitamin mix and things that, you know, that that's what a dog, you can get the numbers right on a mm. spreadsheet. Um, but it fails to take into account, I think, like um, a lot of um, cofactors mm -hmm. and, and other um, uh, vitamin like vehicles or micro sugars, like there's a whole range of nutrients and um, interesting like, you know, uh, anti-nutrients, um, you know, uh, anchoring nutrients and things that, that are needed um, to help other nutrient synthesis, et cetera. Uh, it's certainly coming to light with the DCM um, and the um, exotic foods yeah. uh, sort of scandal that's, that's happening. Pea protein and bean yeah. protein. Yeah. And, yeah. So um, and then I think that a lot of problems with, uh, with vegetarian, vegan, grain-free um, kibble is that um, they're not low in 
starch. They're no. just low in grain. And so w- that's why I, I come back to being, is it low GI? Because you can be grain free with great intentions, but it's still really high in, um, in GI. Mm. Um, and then it can have a lot of lectin, a lot of phytate, can block zinc, you know, um, can block magnesium, uh, block the synthesis of amino acids into, you know, tryptophan and uh, into taurine and, um, you know, coenzyme Q10. Yeah. And, um, and that's problematic. So why then do we hear of, do you think that it's a bit of a sort of placebo effect of people thinking that when their animal moves from a grain containing kibble to a non-grain containing kibble, they see an improvement in Mm. stools and in skin? It depends what the food sensitivities and intolerances are to the Mm. pet. Um, Yeah, if if you've uh, inadvertently um, by uh, testing out a hypothesis that they were sensitive or intolerant or um, rarely uh, like primary allergic to the previous diet, then if you've um, mitigated that um, and, you know, uh, if you move from one diet that was like a chicken protein base to one that's like a salmon protein base and one could be grain-free or and the other one grain-containing, it's confounded in the eyes of um, both the practitioners and, um, you know, the, um, the the pet guardian that perhaps it was like a whole host of other reasons. Like, you know, I bet that the fibre contents were different between the two diets. Too I many bet variables, that the essential fatty acid profiles were slightly different. The vitamin E to um, polyunsaturated fatty acids was different. Zinc, vitamin D, vitamin A, um, you know, uh, that um, one was contaminated with storage mites, one bag wasn't, yeah. you know, that um, that they uh, started, they swapped shampoos, um, <laughs> you know, uh, they yeah. moved house. It's the end of the season and it happened, like it, it gets pretty tricky. It's really challenging. I think that's the challenging thing with nutrition in general is that there is so many variables. It's, mm-hmm. it's really hard unless someone, you know, is living in a bubble and controlling absolutely everything that their, yeah. their pet is exposed to and ingests. It's really hard sometimes to know exactly what is working and what Mm. might be inflaming a problem. Yeah, 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 perpetuating it. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think that, but the, the proof is often in the pudding. Um, it, and when you look at a dog that's on a diet that's growing well, like I remember, you know, uh, after, you know, asking tens of thousands of pets, like over the years, like what, you know, what they're eating, like I think most vets could like that work around natural feeding could do a lineup of and you know be able to say like you know a high GI diet low GI diet high GI diet low GI like as the dogs really? come past yeah yeah based um, on their um, sort of body fat deposits and their skin body fat intra abdominal um, you know cats have this like the kitty beer belly as I fat always heads. talk yeah yeah and just a, a rotund abdomen um, dogs mm. that look a little bit like you know cushionoid so it's this know. metabolic like syndrome that we're yeah, talking about yeah 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 pre yeah pre cushionoid I, yeah. I think a lot of the time and a lot of getting back to your question about vegan dogs a lot of the ones that I had worked with were always umming and ahhing whether or not they were cushionoid and I'm and I'm not I'm I think that there was some um, adrenal axis issues um, mm, with that. Interesting. Yeah. So do you feel that sort of in dogs, I know that cats get, can get type 2 diabetes, um, but dogs that are Cushingoid or pre-Cushingoid, in your opinion, is that sort of the equivalent of people who are pre-diabetic? 
oh yeah, I think that uh, insulin resistance and hormonal yeah. um, like uh, endocrinopathy goes beyond um, like Cushing's as a syndrome versus you know a, you know endogenous uh, cortisol um, you know excess. I think it's more uh, more complicated than that, yeah. and I also think it's more complicated with the you know the emerging atypical Cushing's or the sex hormone deficiencies or sex home sex hormone um, excesses that you know are now, now starting to cloud the whole um, Cushing's. Uh, you know, um, metabolic slash like endocrinopathy kind of complex that mm. we're seeing. It's it's such a complex world, isn't it? The more that I work as a vet, <laughs> the more research I do, I realise we we we, we, we don't yeah. And I and I think a lot of and that's one thing that I wanted to reach out to practitioners um, today about. Um, and I definitely because we're a teaching hospital for Sydney Uni, so I, I have I see a lot of students and I was a clinical coach for nurses in in the UK for registered nurses and saw a lot of students uh, all through my career actually. Um, uh, I always say to people. Um, just breathe and let go of the fact that you and and say to your clients that you don't know. Yeah, it's okay to admit yeah, that. And and say and and for for families listening, like this isn't like a, a secret of what like a trade secret or anything. But it's like I say, like you know, every day I'm saying to people, I don't know what the latest is on this. You know, um, but I'll get back to you. Yeah, and I yeah. don't need to stipulate. Well, I don't know what the latest is from five minutes ago, or you know, a year ago, or five years ago, when, or you know, ten years ago when I was at uni. Whenever, like, I think it's important that you can be like, I'm going to reach out and find out more. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, uh, seek the informed um, opinions of people around me. Like, we work in a you know highly um, networked, like uh, highly specialized um, industry nowadays. Like, get information and go back to the family yeah. with that. I think um, that's really refreshing to hear yeah. just that humbleness um, mm. and being able to admit that we're not walking encyclopedias slash yeah. walking Google yeah. and there's going to be areas where you almost do know everything because it's a, a strength of yours and, and really, you know, an interest area mm-hmm. of yours. But then there's areas where it's just impossible to know everything. Yeah. The and, research is ex- yeah. like exponentially growing. Yeah. Um, it's, it, it's, it's really impossible, you know. Um, to keep up with it all. Yeah. 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 So uh, if we're talking to, I know there's, there's going to be some pet guardians listening today, which is great. We encourage that. Uh, what are the, what do you find are some of the sort of main mistakes that they might be making if they're preparing a home cooked diet and they haven't come to see someone like yourself? Mm, um, mm. And how do you feel that they can sort of be mitigated without perhaps working with a practitioner like you and like your colleagues that yeah. are knowledgeable in this area? Yeah. Firstly, I'd say that um, getting back to letting go of uh, things, I would say um, to everyone out there. Don't feel that you're a bad pet guardian if you don't home prepare food. Um, you know, uh, and I increasingly, one of the biggest mistakes that I see with um, the families that I work with um, is that this increasing anxiety about perfectionism when it comes to being a pet parent. And I think, uh, you know. And a uh, people parent yeah, too. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's an extension of that, you know, like yeah, the, you know, the insta-perfect dog that's like super social and at the cafe and, you know, poses for great photos, or, yeah. you know, or that you have to, you know, take a photo of a bowl of, you know, chicken feet and lamb brain <laughs> yeah. and all of, you know, all of the quail eggs 
egg and, you yeah. know, upload it before you feed your dog. Like I think people need to take a step back from that. And, take the pressure off. Yeah, take the pressure off. And if and, and whenever I'm doing nutritional counselling uh, with um, home-prepared diets, I will advise people to – I will always give a commercial backup option um, just for when you go on holidays. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, got to make it doable. Yeah, yeah, or like if you want to have a weekend off, you know, have something that can be – you can turn to that's commercially available. Yeah. Um, so my advice for people that, you know, can't work with an integrative practitioner, um, definitely work with your, um, uh, or work with a practitioner that has a, um, a special interest or further credentials or, uh, experience with, um, home prepared diets or making natural feeding diets in general, even if it's like commercial bath feeding or like a home prepared, um, minimally processed food. Um, if you're not sure, just like, uh, as a practice, like if your vet isn't sure, like ask them, you know, should, you know, like how comfortable are you with this and try and have build the client vet relationship to a point where it's no longer like you know I have all of the secrets in my textbook and you have to pay for me to open the textbook and tell you what's going on like you know people can find like there is really good information on the internet but there's also it's a minefield and people often come to me um for diet advice and other things and they're so overwhelmed and um, so so confused um and it can be so my advice tends to be um, the big mistakes that I see is, um, yeah, not uh, like not feeling comfortable with the disparity between what you want to do and what your GP vet um, is is recommending and, you like, try and find some common ground on mm. it. Um, try and have more open conversations um, and and maybe request a double consultation with your vet. That's a big shout-out to uh, the vets out there yeah. is, you know, every, like, you know, um, uh, people uh, need to appreciate another big mistake that I find is that people um, pet guardians don't appreciate how hard it is to do home prepared diets um, and I find that a lot of the time people aren't really even though I try and point it out from the very start that there's lots of consulting involved to do it to the level that I have to do it to if you're asking for my opinion I have standard. to kind of yeah. do you know do this impeccably um, you know it's unfair not to um, that the that there are um, twists and turns um, and I need feedback about what's working, what's not working. I need to see them. Whenever I do a home prepared diet, there's a caveat that it's relevant for three months. And if I don't see the the patient back and I do lose a lot to follow up, um, uh, uh, that, you know, they come once and say, particularly vegan, vegetarian, sometimes they come and then don't really come back. And I think, oh, I wonder how that animal's going, you know, navigating that. Um, hopefully they're going well, but, uh, but, um, the recommendations are very much for now. Um, so I would say that for people who want to do home prepared without having access to a integrative practitioner, that they, they should look, um, for, look at picking a few key thought leaders, um, to base their information off. Steve Brown, um, Jean Dodds, Barbara Fougere, um, you know, their literature, Karen Becker, like there's some people like Rodney Habib, there's some big advocates um, out there for natural feeding um, to really help um, help you with it. And then I would say if your vet isn't comfortable doing nutritional counselling, then you can, uh, you know, devise your diet. Generally, I find that people have um, too much fat, too much prote- uh, protein, um, and they're too scared of carbs, um, and they're not providing variety of vegetables, mm-hmm. and they're normally not getting enough vitamin D, zinc. Mm-hmm. So uh, adding sardines, 
greens, adding parsley for vitamins, um, uh, uh, broccoli, pr- Brussels sprouts, low mm-hmm. GI complex carbs, butternut squash is my favorite. Mm-hmm. So uh, trying to have a di- an egg a week, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's that um, brings a lot of choline and other vitamins just to the table. It can be enough, just as like really? a little bit extra. Yeah. There's a lot of um, uh, micronutrient um, uh, whole food mixes now available and a lot of tech support through companies that can help with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's I'd recommend veterinary developed ones, yeah. um, but they can help as well. Um, and then if whatever you're doing, go back to your GP and just ask them to do a body condition score, um, check how the dog is. Um, I'd say if most people are keen and they don't have vets to help with, avoid doing it in animals that have chronic disease problems, mm-hmm. um, uh, particularly like kidney, liver, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I mean, skin and, and GI um, gut disease, I think they have more room to, you know, experiment with. Um, yeah. Pancreatitis, you have to be a bit careful. Um, go back to your GP vet and say, look, you know, the diet I'm doing is this. How does the dog look to you? Because probably the biggest nutrient defi- uh, imbalance that we see when people, you know, talking about like, oh, complete imbalance, the biggest issue we're seeing is obesity. Yeah, <laughs> That's the clearest imbalance of calories and probably uh, pro-inflammatory mediators, but calories. So, you know, complete imbalance, you know, if the dog's nine out of nine body condition score, um, you know, it'd be great. Like there may be some some micronutrient issues, but the the health of that dog is is uh, mostly underpinned by the fact that it's grossly overweight, yeah. and that's what's going to drain years off its life, regardless yeah. of what you're doing with regards to home prepared commercial. Yeah. Um. So that's that's a big sort it's of a really area. Good tip. Yeah. 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 Get get the weight um sorted out and use yeah use uh, your veterinary team at general wellness checks to talk about the diet even if they're not comfortable. Use micronutrients. Use key thought leaders um in veterinary and nutritionist um you know uh, maybe uh, you can uh, you can look at paying for a one off nutritional yeah. uh, uh, consultation through um through board certified nutritionists overseas and mm-hmm. here's but. But I find that it's sometimes problematic with some of the nutrient supplement, micronutrient supplements that they provide are often a little bit um, synth- synthesized mm-hmm. or there's not a lot of variety and not a lot of room for whole food nutrients. So yeah. I think that a lot of the families that have come to me have already tried that and the dogs kind of didn't like it or it didn't really resonate with their philosophy. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, I think that Rodney Habib is a great leader in this in the States. Um, okay. I think he's really an awesome guy and, um, and a great person to look to um, because he um, interviews all of the key thought leaders in nutrition in the States, which is really to advanced. Him yeah. Have him on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Okay. Well, I think a lot of that advice would be really applicable to practitioners listening as well. Mm. Um, those that are interested and want to learn more and want to be able to provide more to yeah. the clients who want to go down this road. So that's that's excellent. Yeah. We're, we're sort of running out of time again, which mm-hmm. I'm not surprised because <laughs> <No>. <laughs> we could chat for hours. Um, but so before we go, is there any burning pieces of wisdom that you haven't shared that you want to yeah. share before we finish up? Probably I would say that um, I think people are all on the right track with questioning um, how we've been feeding our pets for the last 50 years. Um, I think that vets are starting to um, realise it uh, two, but it is very pet gut in driven. Um, 
I do think that vets should um, familiarise themselves with the a ha- happy halfway between fully home prepared and fully 100% um, like highly processed food mm-hmm. and start looking and doing their own due diligence on um, a lot of the um, the newer brands on the market and about what they're offering. Mm-hmm. Um, download the FEDIAF European guidelines rather than AFCO and have a look at the difference between AFCO and FEDIAF. FEDIAF mm-hmm. is, has a, a table of all the nutrients excesses, ratios of amino acids and everything and heaps of literature linked in it. It's a really good resource. Read um, like Simpson's uh, Clinical Nutrition. Um, interestingly, the last the addendum in Clinical Nutrition textbook is Home Prepared Diets and then right. the first chapter is, um, is uh, Nutrient Deficiencies and Excesses and I think that it's sort of telling that that's kind of like the 360 of the yeah. whole Clinical Nutrition textbook is around, you know, doing this. But um, And admitting that you know, admitting that you don't know. I think people want trust, people want honesty, uh, people want transparency, um, people want to know that, um, you know, that we're, we're on their team. Yeah, you're on the journey together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, having a practitioner that's, that admits that and but is really passionate and really keen to learn for you and be able to provide the information for you would be wonderful yeah. everyone was like that so many so i've learned so much from the families that i've worked with because yeah. people come and they're like ask me things and are, or well, are doing you. things yeah. and they're challenging yeah. and yeah and I'm, I'm not a vet that's like oh you know dr google like how dare they go on the internet it's, yeah of course they're gonna go on the you internet you gotta keep your mind open yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah great awesome well thank you again matt um i know that we've shared your contact details before on the podcast but you're able to just remind our listeners where they can find you and all natural vet care? Yeah, so um, uh, naturalvet.com.au, uh, 97125844. I also have uh, an online um, information platform called Achieve Animal Wellness, which is achieveanimalwellness.com, mm-hmm. and on Instagram, achieve underscore animal underscore wellness. Awesome. Great. Well, thanks again. Yeah, it's and great. I'm I sure love it. we'll have you back because there's plenty more yeah, topics I've got to a talk lot, about. A lot of things to say. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly do. And yeah. I've really enjoyed chatting to you. So yeah. Really grateful. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks so much. This was the Pure Animal Podcast, and I'm Dr. Sarah Howard. If you enjoyed today's episode, jump onto iTunes and feel free to give us a rating and review.